0: Well, today we continue uh, this new series that we're doing in the book of Acts. If you're new to the Scriptures, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. And I just want to kind of repeat some things from last week, some introductory comments, and then also to uh, mention something, an- another uh, point that really isn't tied in the three points I want to talk about, but I think it's really important for us. And if you were gone last week, I encourage you to watch our videocasts or our uh, podcasts, from past Sundays and perhaps there's people right now on vacation, what have you, that are uh, watching via cast. We want to welcome you as well. Let me jump in. When it comes to the book of Acts, as we talked about last week, who wrote it? It's a question we want to ask, and it's written by a guy named, we believe, Luke. He was a physician, and medicine was sort of a burgeoning discipline at that time, so he wasn't very affluent, but he was a Syrian who lived in Antioch. And he came to Christ as a result of Paul and Barnabas. In fact, his story is kind of in the, middle, in the middle of the book of Acts of how he comes to Christ. It's really cool. But he writes Acts and outlines a number of things. But the, 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 some, some of the biographical things about uh, Luke is the fact that he traveled quite a bit with Paul. And a lot of the things that happen in Acts as a result of Peter and Paul, that's where Luke gets that information. Also, uh, we believe that he never married, never had children, was with Paul all the way until Paul was beheaded in Rome, and that's where the book of Acts leaves let, ends with Paul being in Rome. And after that, Luke um, uh, began to go in other areas to expand his ministry, and we believe he died at the age of 85 of natural causes. One of the few uh, leaders of the church that actually died of natural causes, him and John and when it comes to the book of Acts and also uh, the gospel of Luke, gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts is like a sequel that, um, that Luke is writing to his beneficiary, or his benefactor rather, and that's Theophilus. Theophilus, we believe, actually funded, paid for um, Luke's ministry and his travels. And in, when you put the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together, you have one-fourth of the New Testament. So if you take all Paul's letters, all Peter's letters, all of John's letters, and combine them together, the Gospel of Luke and the sequel Book of Acts is still larger. So for you and I, our understanding of Christianity, as we say in seminary, is very Lucan. It's influenced by Luke quite a bit, and I'm so excited about this series. We're going to be in this until the end of June, and for us, it's really uh, to go back to the origin of the church the question is where did maple grove covenant church come from and we were planted by redeemer covenant church you can kind of trace that back but if you do like a sort of a family tree or a church tree it uh invariably goes back to the first church that we see in jerusalem because the book of acts is all about how the church changed the world and we're going to see that happen and also uh, another theme that we see is how Christianity began, the spreading the gospel, and also the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and, and maybe you're here, and for you, the Holy Spirit, it's like the Holy Ghost, or it's, you're, you're not quite sure what it is or what He is. And I think you're going to learn a lot about the Holy Spirit, because that's one of the themes that Luke hits on, both in his gospel and the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to look in particular how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be courageous. And we're going to see this embodied by Peter. So you have a Bible. I'd like to just begin with, uh, again, a few introductory comments. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to go back to um, a verse that we talked about last week because this is a, a key verse in a number of ways. As I mentioned last week, Acts 1, 8 is the table of contents. For the book of Acts. If you want to kind of follow along, goes Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and Rome was called the ends of the earth. That's how the, the book happens. It's the, the actions and the activities and events occur in that um, succession. But it says in chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power. And I'd like you to underline that phrase, receive power or empowered in some translations, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Circle that word, witnesses, and then Jesus clarifies it. He elaborates. He says, "telling, uh, telling about me everywhere, telling uh, people about me everywhere in Jerusalem." And then he goes through the different locations. So that would, that's what it means to be a witness: is to tell people about Jesus. And you and I are called to do that. that. This is not something that was descriptive, as I talked about last week, of a, a singular, unique historical event that happened back there. It definitely was a historical event, but also carries over to us that we need to be witnesses because other scriptures support that. Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, for example, Timothy is a young pastor in the church of Ephesus. He says, uh, do the work of an evangelist. Um, Because some people are gifted towards evangelism, evidently Timothy was not, but still he had, uh, I would say, the duty, the commission, as we talked about last week, to be an evangelist, that you and I are called, we're commissioned to share the gospel, and as we do, to know that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that, because we need courage to do that, don't we? It's not easy for a lot of us, and the Holy Spirit empowers us, as it says in verse 8, receive power. And then uh, turn over to chapter 3, if you want to turn over there in Acts, Acts chapter 3, we find this incredible story where Peter and John are walking along and there is a, be- a beggar who has been lame since birth, uh, crippled, who has been uh, crippled since birth, and he asks for money because he needs, some, he needs some money to make ends meet. And Peter says, silver and gold we do not have. But the name of jesus of nazareth be healed and instantly he's healed look at verse 11 chapter three they all rushed out in amazement to solomon's uh, colonnade or it's called solomon's porch in the vernacular it was just kind of an area people could be hanging out and conversations and it, it might be like a, a city square that we have uh, today but they're hanging out talking and we've seen verse 11 uh, that there is amazement all these people are there and there's the uh, the person that's healed. It says where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Imagine that scene. You got Peter and John, and I kind of imagine the uh, the healed uh, beggar just holding tightly in case there's a relapse, you know, in case the healing doesn't really work. I just kind of picture him holding tightly in case this miracle really doesn't happen. And he's and he's right there, but it, it works. He is healed. And Peter senses an opportunity. In verse 12, you'll see it. Peter saw his opportunity. The door was open. The door was open. It was a good time to preach a sermon. In my mind, it's always a good time to preach a sermon. Wherever I am, I want to preach a sermon. And we see what happens here in verses 12 through 16. And this is going to, uh, this is going to be the bulk of uh, my message. Let me pray for us as we start. God in heaven, I pray for your anointing upon this message. And God, I pray for... Uh, each of us, um, perhaps after a, a, busy, a busy week and maybe yesterday just getting outside and enjoying the, just the incredible weather, um, help us to refocus, help us in a sense to reboot, to orient our hearts and our minds towards you because our instinct is not to do that. Our instinct is to make it about us. Uh, so God, this sermon, this service is for your renown, it's for your name, it's for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Amen. Verses 12 through 16. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? It had been very easy for Peter and John, you know, to, to like take the credit for it. Yeah, we have that power now and we just healed this man and I'm sure if they stayed with that, they'd have all these teaching gigs. I, I, I sort of speculate that they would have made money. People would have been inviting them to come to their gatherings because of this incredible miracle. But Peter doesn't do that. He points back to God. How many of us, when it comes to something in our, our life that's significant, some, some great result, that we point back to God? I know I, I don't enough. I know I, I tend to, you know, thank you or, yeah, and, but don't, I don't go, yeah, but it's really God. God using me, God empowering me. Yes, I have to show up, but God's doing something in my life. And that's exactly what Peter does, verse, verse 13. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason why he mentions that is because he's talking to a mostly Jewish audience. That's a big statement. Because that was the core of the, the Jewish belief, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom, you may want to circle this, you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you, circle that one, rejected this holy righteous one, instead demand the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses. There's that word again. We are witnesses of this fact. He is holding nothing back. This is not one of those seeker-sensitive sermons. I mean, he's he's just straight out. You, it's you, and Peter would also say it, it was me as well. And I just want to mention this. You'll see it in your teaching notes as well. And I encourage you to follow along. Is that when we have an experience, when we have experience, we we need to have preaching and teaching to clarify. Because so much in our culture is all about experience. And experience is good. And when you have a spiritual experience, but, but we need to, be, need to be coupled with preaching and teaching so that we understand it. A man is healed. But they're asking, who healed him? Why was he healed? What does this mean? And that's where Peter steps in. And we need, when it comes to experience, to have preaching and teaching with it. Experience is not enough. We need an education about God just as an experience with him. Those two come hand in hand. They ought to be. And Acts 3 shows that. And perhaps you're suffering right now. Maybe there's a tragedy that's affecting you that won't reveal to you who God is or what God is doing, and you may not have any understanding of the facts. Is God punishing me? Is Satan after me? Um, Have I done something wrong to deserve this? Is this sort of like karma where I did something, now it's coming back at me? And this is where preaching and teaching come in. Because we have those experiences where we're going through suffering and through tragedy and where we need the Bible, we need teaching, we need preaching and education about who God is and what his kingdom is like. So this experience of a man healed, Peter stands up to preach and teach to explain what happened and to make sense of the experience. Now let's jump into the bulk of this sermon. This passage teaches us, the Holy Spirit empowers us, just like Peter and John, to be courageous in a few ways. Let's begin with the fact that Peter steps in and he's, he's preaching in front of hundreds of people. Just two months ago or so, he denies Christ three times. And in fact, one of them is with a young girl. She asks him, are you associated with this, this Jesus Christ guy? He's like, no. And what Peter's trying to do besides trying to save his life, but he wants to keep his faith private. But faith is meant to be public. And how does Peter do this? How does he step in so boldly? How does he How does he share so courageously the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has empowered him And I would say what Peter is saying here is very, very public he 's saying, "You killed Jesus, but God resurrected him. We feel a tug to keep our faith private we don 't want, want to stand out. We want to be comfortable and additionally, we live in a day where everyone 's okay with your Christian faith being private, but when it comes to being public, that's a different story. And for some of us, we come out of religious contexts where we never really publicly shared or talked about our faith. How many of us, when it comes to social media, are putting Jesus out there? If you're to do a review like Facebook does of the year, the past year, they always do that, how often would Jesus Christ come up in your posts or your pictures or Instagram or your tweets? How often? And maybe you're a Christian, and and when it comes to your family and friends, they really don't know that because you've kept it private. Like Peter, you kept it to yourself. Maybe you didn't deny Christ, but you've kept it private. And and maybe uh, you're at work, and the Christian faith is a pinata that they're just smacking with insults and denigrations and ridiculing your faith, but you're reluctant. You're like, I'm not getting involved in this. You're scared. But no, you're empowered with the Holy Spirit to step in. Or maybe you're at a class or a college, like I was at the University of Minnesota, and a a teacher or professor takes some jabs at Christianity. What do you do? Do you stay comfortable and just keep your Christianity to yourself and keep it private? Or maybe you speak up and say something like this. Hey, since, since we're talking about Jesus as a Christian, I'd like to talk about Jesus since you brought it up. And maybe you say that to your professor your teacher. You brought it up. Since we all believe in tolerance and religious uh, diversity, I thought I'd give you an opportunity to exercise that great kindness to me. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yeah. Ex- yes. Amen. Because it seems like in our schools, in our universities, there's this inclination to talk about all the other uh, religious worldviews, but gosh, when it comes to Christianity, oh, uh, there's intolerance. In your teaching notes, number one, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be courageous and this book, this ba- passage teaches us faith is meant to be public, not private. And, and some of us don't want uh, to go public our faith because maybe it's not simply that it's uncomfortable or the fact that we're a bit reticent about it. Maybe it's we, we don't want to be persecuted. Maybe we've heard stories of people who were actually persecuted for our faith, and it's happening around the globe right now, if you don't know this. A great uh, website I've mentioned a number of times is called Voice of the Martyrs. If you want to learn about the, the news that you're not going to hear um, on cable or what have you, is Voice of the Martyrs shares stories about Christians and pastors and missionaries who are dying for their faith. It's happening. You just don't hear about it. And it happened to Peter as well, as he went public with his faith and was empowered to be courageous. And, and, he, and he, his goal was, I'm, I'm going for broke here. I'm going to share about Christ. And he did for a few years. And then, and then uh, Nero had him crucified. And then when it came to the time of crucifixion for Peter, Peter said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same way as my Lord and Savior. So they tipped the cross upside down. And that's how he was crucified, for his Lord and Savior, and and maybe for you. It's I, I don't want that to happen, but you know that's, that's not going to happen. I, I really doubt you're going to be crucified. But you may be crucified with words or emotions, or perhaps the loss of relationships. And I've experienced that in my own life. And here's the idea, though, someone went public for you, didn't they? Someone told you about Jesus, or someone invited you to church. Someone went public for you, and that's why you're here. That's why you have a faith in Christ. And they went public not knowing if they would be embarrassed, not knowing what kind of response you would give them. But the goal for us should be to bring as many people as we can to heaven with us. Would you agree? That should be the goal of our lives, to bring as many people to heaven with us. The Bible tells us that God does not want any to perish, but for all people to come to faith. And we need to join him in that. Well, besides, uh, number one, faith is meant to be public, not private. We also see uh, in his sermon, and this is a famous sermon well known from Peter, he unequivocally identifies Jesus Christ as the object of our faith. Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, you may want to underline that phrase, in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name, there he repeats it again, has healed him before your very eyes. You know, it's like uh, Peter is like in the school of redundancy school. (laughs) So you get that later. Uh, That he's repeating himself. He sounds like a bit redundant. Faith in Jesus' name. Okay, we we got it for the first time. And then he repeats it the second time. Faith in Jesus' name. What he's doing, he's underscoring, he's centering that Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. Not us. Not Peter. Not John. Not Craig. And various religions, though, differ on this. When it comes to the problems of life, because that's what Christianity does. Christianity responds to the problems of life just like any world religion. But the other ones differ in how they offer solutions. For example, in Buddhism, you save yourself By ceasing all desire. In Confucianism, you save yourself through learning, reflection, self-cultivation, and moral living. In Hinduism, you save yourself by detaching from your ego and living united with the divine. In Islam, you save yourself by a life of good deeds. In Orthodox Judaism, you save yourself through repentance and prayer and by working hard to obey God's laws and be a good person and hope you go to heaven. In New Age Spirituality, you save yourself by seeing yourself as part of the divine oneness and seeking to live in harmony with the one, capital O. In Deoism, you save yourself by aligning with Deo to have peace in you and harmony among you, and also to live in this sort of nebulous interconnectedness. There are various spiritual solutions, but the one thing remains constant. What is the object of the faith of these religions? You. And Christianity comes along and says, no, you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can. It's never about saving yourself in Christianity. It's about being saved by a Savior. Number two in your teaching notes, we need to identify Jesus as the object of our faith. It's not simply that for our faith to be public and not private, but for us to identify Jesus as the object of our faith. And that's a question for you, Maple Grove Covenant Church, this morning. Is he really the object of your faith? And and we can kind of drift from that. In leadership, they call it mission drift. That After a while, a church or organization will kind of drift and be pulled in different ways. And it's easy in our spiritual life in the same way to experience that drift, that spiritual drift where Jesus is no longer the object of our faith. And it might be difficult for you because you have friends and family, coworkers, neighbors that perhaps follow a different religion. I know one family, for example, that part of the family follows Christ and Christianity, and the other part of the family follows Hinduism. And it's hard. It's hard for those in that family who follow Christ. And yet, their faith may be sincere when it comes to these other religions, or perhaps Gnosticism or Atheism, which, by the way, are also spiritual beliefs. Uh, the denial of one thing is the acceptance of other, others, Um, atheism is not simply like no faith at all. They have faith in something else, namely them, themselves. But the object of our faith is very important because uh, uh, the object of our faith makes a big difference. I'm a marginal swimmer. I think I could save myself within probably 50 yards. Um, But if you are with me and we're in trouble, um, you better pray or be a good swimmer because I don't think I could save you. I think I can make it back myself. And, but, but perhaps I'm swimming with some friends at Lake Minnetonka, and it's 4th of July, I'm out there, and there's boats everywhere, and I'm swimming around, and I say to my friends for some odd reason, who knows, um, throw me the anchor. Throw me the anchor. Because I have faith that, I, that this anchor will be okay. I have this sort of religious commitment that I'll be okay. Because I have a deep, strong, unshakable faith in the anchor to save me. They throw me the anchor. With faith, I grab it. And I hold on to it with a deep, devoted, sincere, strong commitment. How will it go? I'll sink. And probably drown. See, the faith doesn't save you. It's not faith. It's the object of your faith that saves you. It's not faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. And for so many people who put their faith in different objects, different religions, they're gonna drown. They're gonna be lost at sea. And we have an opportunity though to share with them that the object of our faith, as Peter says, through faith in his name, that Jesus alone is Savior. He is the object of our faith. So number two, we need to identify Jesus as the object of our faith. Next. And what I love about Peter here in verse 12. Peter saw this opportunity and addressed the crowd. And then he goes into the sermon and it's in front of hundreds of people. Um, this was spontaneous, okay? This was, this was something that just happened right there. He healed a man, and all of a sudden the opportunity came for him to publicly talk about Jesus. And he was prepared, that's why he wrote a famous verse in First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that we studied and looked at in our series in First Peter. If someone asked about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How many of you, if, you, uh, if your teacher or your college professor said, you know what, my class, we're not going to have exams, we're not going to have quizzes, um, we're not going to have any pop quizzes, how would you guys respond, high school students? yeah yeah, because you don't have to study, right? There's no need to study. You'd be like, hallelujah, we're, we're not going to have tests or exams. Then I won't study. And teachers, teachers know that, though. Professors know that. If they don't have tests, if they don't have quizzes, then students won't study and learn. And one of the things in, in high school and college I hated were pop quizzes. I hated pop quizzes. And because you never knew when they were coming. And 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 you didn't just you didn't and if you hadn't read that chapter if you hadn't uh, taken time to study and maybe you're putting it off for a number of reasons, you will probably uh, fail miserably at the pop quiz. The Christian life is a series of pop quizzes. It really is. That we have an opportunity like Peter, where someone is going through perhaps something, and it might be cancer. It might be. Um, a health condition or something like that, how would you respond to that? And then you say, maybe, I'll pray for you. And in addition to that, you say, I'll pray for you because I believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe they ask the question, Tell me about that. So we have to be prepared. How would you share with that? Because you and I are commissioned to be witnesses, all of us. Okay? All of us. It's not optional. For us, it's it's really a matter of obedience. It's funny, though, when it comes to exams and, and quizzes and things like that, how many of us still have nightmares about showing up in a college class or a high school class and there's some kind of exam, a major exam, and you are not prepared? How many of you still have dreams? Yeah, yeah, oh, they're, they're, those are awful. But I had a dream this last week, a few days ago, um, that... Uh, and I use uh, the application Microsoft OneNote for my sermons. And I just love it. And I went, it was Sunday morning, and it was a day like today, and I went to my OneNote to get my sermon, and it was blank. And, and then for, and I could picture this, I don't know if it was Sam or Holly, they said, you, you have a couple minutes, you've you got to be up to preach Quick. And I'm scrambling in my office and in in this dream slash nightmare, and and I'm trying to find something, and I can't find anything at all. Uh, My commentaries are not helping me and the the little uh, resources I have, and I got minutes, so I just walk up with my Bible and think I can wing it. And then I start preaching, and it doesn't make any sense. It's all garbly goo. And pretty soon, people are sleeping. As a few of you are right now. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But people were sleeping, and then eventually, slowly, as I'm going through my sermon, all of you start to leave. (laughs) It's me and like 20 people, and I think half of them are my family. (laughs) Uh, And I woke up just in dread, because I wasn't prepared, and I woke up just sweating, and I said, oh my goodness, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. So pray for me. Um, but do you think Peter and John had this marked on their calendar? No. It was spontaneous. It wasn't like today, well, we're going to heal a man lame from birth and, and Peter's going to preach a, a sermon in front of a large crowd. Check. No. We need to pray for opportunities. And I guarantee if you pray for opportunities, God will bring them to you. Number three in our teaching notes, be prepared. Be prepared. And I want to just encourage you a couple of things. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we had this really nice booklet from Chip Ingram, uh, this is a phenomenal pastor and author, on four reasons why to believe in the resurrection. Not opinion-based, but actually factual. Factual evidence. We had 250 of these, and we, blew out, we just blew through them all. They are gone. So we got another 90 for this morning. So if you want one, this might be a way for you to go public and, and actually share this with somebody and say, you know, Uh, I'm not sure where you're at in Christianity, or maybe you do, but I just want to give you this booklet. It's going to answer some questions about about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's actually real. And maybe that's your step this morning, is to actually do something like that. But whatever we do is to pray for opportunities. And this point convicts me because I haven't been doing this enough. I haven't been praying on a regular basis for God to open doors, to give me opportunities to go public with my faith. I'll be honest with you. And actually, it's embarrassing that I haven't been praying for that. Because you need to pray on a regular basis. And if you do, God will open doors. God will open the doors for you to share your faith. Because when I did pray on a regular basis, and, and not too long ago, I was at a Dunn Brothers in Excelsior, and I was, talk, I was uh, studying uh, something on uh, Leviticus and in preparation for a Seder meal that we did a few years ago. And uh, there was a Jewish man there, and he asked me about the, the Seder meal, and then we started talking about the Passover meal and the parallelism between the, the, the Passover meal and a Christian Seder meal. And, and, and then I, taught, I said, "But the difference is that, yeah, we look at the, the Israelites being uh, freed uh, from their slavery but we look at Jesus Christ freeing us from our slavery to sin and death and that opportunity to share Christ with him. And and for you, again, it might be to come up to somebody that you know, how can I pray for you? How can I serve you? Do you know that we worship a God who loves you no matter what? I want to take a moment right now and I want to encourage everybody here. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, this spring, this May, this June, July, and August, will you say yes? Will you join me? I want to invite you to do it. And, and maybe it's something that you're not quite sure how to say or what to say. Email me or put on your communication card. I, I could, I could, I'd love to help you and kind of talk about what you can do. But I want to ask you, Maple Grove Covenant Church, to take your communication card... So for the, over the next four months, if you're going to pray for opportunities to be a witness, to go public with your faith and share your faith with, with others, invite them to church. Simply say on the back of your card, yes, I'm in. Yes, I'm in. Yes, I'm in. Three words. Will you join me in doing this? And please put it on your communication card. You can keep it anonymous if you want to. Or you can put your name on there. Whatever you do, I promise you this. Well, the next four months, I will pray for the cards that come in. For opportunities for us to go public with our faith. To share about the real hope. To share about the real object of faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And if you fill that out, put it in the offering basket. And again, you can keep it anonymous. Or if you write your name on there, I'd love to pray for you. And as a church, let us go out. Let us... uh, Really exercise that mission of go in our mission. To go and share our faith with the people in our spheres of influences. Let's pray. God, I ask that you open doors for us. For us to know that we are empowered to be courageous. I pray that we would take that step. That we would be cognizant and mindful of those opportunities that come up. And Lord, help us to have eyes to see. People in our lives, it might be at the library, it might be in the neighborhood, it might be on the golf course, it might be at our kids' sporting events, where we begin to talk to somebody and there's an opportunity, there's a door to talk about spiritual matters. I pray, God, that each of us would say yes. Amen. Amen.